0: Bergdahl graduated infantry school in 2008 and eventually deployed to Afghanistan. He soon appeared to grow disillusioned with the war. A Rolling Stone magazine story quotes Bergdahl's final email to his parents before his capture, saying, quote, I am ashamed to even be American. The horror of the self-righteous arrogance that they thrive in, it is all revolting. The title of U.S. soldier is just a lie of fools. And the horror that is America is disgusting. In response to his email, Bergdahl's father wrote back, quote, "...Obey your conscience." Three days later, Bergdahl went missing from his platoon's outpost in Afghanistan and was captured by terrorists affiliated with the Taliban. Bergdahl claimed he was nabbed when he fell behind on patrol, but his fellow soldiers say he simply walked off post. The military devoted weeks to searching for him, and now some in his battalion are claiming that at least six soldiers were killed during those missions. Although the Pentagon tells Fox News, it's never that cut and dry. Bergdahl's parents held out hope their son would one day return home. We
1: support you and are eagerly awaiting your return home.
2: Have faith, do good works, continue to tell the truth. But above all, suffer. Have the patience that can only come from God.
0: They got their wish when the White House announced on Saturday that Bergdahl had been released in exchange for five infamous Guantanamo Bay prisoners. Hours later, President Obama appeared in the Rose Garden alongside Bergdahl's parents. Bergdahl's father took to the podium. He gave thanks and also praised Allah in the language of the Taliban. While everyone was happy an American was coming home, some in Congress quickly demanded to know why the president had not given Congress the mandatory 30-day notification. Then the administration had to answer questions about encouraging future kidnappings.
1: I don't think uh, what we did in getting our prisoner of war released uh, in in any way uh, would somehow uh, encourage terrorists uh, to, to take our uh, American servicemen or. Uh, prisoner, or hostage. I think the terrorists are uh, intent on
0: on doing what they're going to do. Right now, those terrorists are celebrating. We just got this homecoming video as the leader of the Taliban issued a rare statement hailing this deal as a, quote, great victory.
2: Hey, guys. Welcome to OneChurch.tv. Glad you're here. My name is Chris, and I'm one of the teaching pastors. And today, we are finishing up our series entitled, What Would Jesus Say?, I hope you guys have enjoyed this one. I have really enjoyed teaching this one. It's been fun just looking at a lot of different uh, people who have made the news. People like Katy Perry and Lance Armstrong. Uh, We've looked at uh, Robin Williams. Uh, We have looked at Ellen uh, last week. And today, uh, we are looking at Bo Bergdahl. Um, Now, uh, just in case, I assume uh, you guys have been watching the news or Facebook Uh, And if you all know the whole situation about what's going on with Bo Bergdahl. He's a soldier in the United States Army. Uh, He is now a sergeant, and uh, he spent five years uh, behind enemy lines as a captive in Afghanistan um, before the Obama administration agreed to give up five detainees at Gitmo in order to exchange uh, Bo Bergdahl uh, for these five people. Uh, there's a lot, uh, a lot of stuff we could talk about here. There's a lot of issues uh, to this story. Uh, the first is, uh, the question is, is, is Bo Bogdall a deserter or is he a hero? And we're going to be talking about that. Another issue is how come Congress wasn't informed about the deal? Uh, and then there's the whole situation about uh, was this an exchange? Were we negotiating with terrorists? Um, Today's message, uh, I'm not even going to address, address the negotiation of terrorists or whether or not Obama should have done this because this is not what would Jesus say to Obama. This is what Jesus would say uh, to Bo Bergdahl. And I'll be honest with you, another reason why I'm not going to address the whole political thing, and, and this is really the first point I want to make, is this is fraught with political stuff. You know how it is. And one of the things we learned last week, that many people outside the church, one of the biggest complaints of Christianity in church is that we're too political. So we're going to take the politics out of this, uh, and we're just going to be talking about what would Jesus say to Bo Bergdahl. So uh, now let me tell you a second thing I just want to kind of warn you guys about as well. The investigation is still going on. So, uh, you know, so many times when we watch the news and we listen to reporters, it seems like people have already made up their minds, and uh, we cannot do that, um, and it's, it's easy for us to say, well, oh yeah, he's this or he's that, and uh, we need to let the justice system be able to work this out. We believe um, that uh, we are under law and we are to obey those authorities o- over us, and we believe that justice will run out. We believe that the truth will set you free. And that's what we're praying uh, for with this situation. But um, because the investigation is still going on, um, we're going to be looking at what would Jesus say if Bo is a hero, because we don't know. Um, If Bo is a deserter, what would Jesus say? Because, again, we don't know. And because we don't know, if Bo is a traitor, what would Jesus say? We're just not going to assume anything because we can't because the investigation is still going on. All right, lastly... I want to speak to you army men and women who are in the room and who are listening online. I got a text from a good friend of mine. He's listening from the country of Jordan. And he says, greetings from Jordan. He actually texted in a question last week. I know you guys and I know you ladies listen. And I just want to acknowledge some of the pain that's in this room. Because many of you have strong feelings about Bo. Whether he's a hero or a traitor. You have strong feelings about this and you should. You should. You should. Because day in and day out, you sacrifice for your country and you lay down your life for your nation. You leave spouse, you leave children, you leave friends, you leave house, you leave a life behind in the States. You go for a month, three months, nine months, a year or longer. Some of you, you're on your third, fourth, even more deployments. And when you're there, you always have your guard up. You're always looking at plastic bags on the side of the road, wondering, is is that an IED? You're always looking over your shoulder. And though so many of you have left so much back in the States, when you return home, you bring so much with you. You have horrible images that just won't go away. You have nightmares that you cannot wake up from. Some of you experience PTSD. You have anger and isolation. Some of you don't like big crowds and loud noises because of some of your experiences. So just coming to church in a big crowd with a bunch of loud speakers is just difficult. And though you're back home, you still don't know how to let down your guard. You don't know how to let anyone in. You sacrifice so much. So to hear some of the stories that have circulated about Bo, it just ticks you off. And I just want to acknowledge that. We don't know whether it's true or not, but you're just angry. And if those stories are true, if they are true, you have every right to be angry. But, and this is the big caution I want to give us all today. This isn't what Chris would say to Bo Bergdahl. This isn't what Eric would say to Bo Bergdahl or Scotty would say to Bo Bergdahl or Rusty would say to Bo Bergdahl or I'm trying to look at other people's faces. I know in here, all right? This is what, who, Jesus would say to Bo Bergdahl. So the thing I really want us to do over the next 35 minutes is I want to take yourself out of your shoes and put yourself in Jesus' sandals and to see how Jesus sees Bo. And let's figure this out. So, now I do know, because 85% of our church is military, I have the possibility of taking everybody off all right I, I do know this I totally understand this and know this I'm not going to try to do this I'm not going to try to take anybody off but let let's talk about what Jesus would say the first if Bo is innocent what would Jesus say to Bo I think Jesus would say to Bo this you know I totally understand where you're coming from I totally understand where you're coming from because People have, they accused me of some things that wasn't true. I understand where you're, how you're feeling right now because there were some trumped up charges that have come up towards me and it eventually got me killed. And it seems like the entire world was against me. So if Bo is, is, is innocent, I believe Jesus would empathize with Bo and let Bo know, you know what, you're not alone in this. Let me talk a little bit about Bo before we kind of dig into this. Bo is an Idaho native. Anybody been to Idaho? Okay, no one. I have been to Idaho. All right. So, anyway, he's 28 years old. And according to soldier specialist Jason Fry, uh, Bergdahl was quiet. Uh, He wasn't one of the troublemakers, he says. I'm quoting. He was focused and well behaved. Bergdahl told Fry before the deployment this is in quotations if this deployment is lame, I'm just going to walk off into the mountains of Pakistan. Specialist Gerald Sutton, 31, remembered Bergdahl talking with him and a third soldier just a few days before um, his disappearance. And this is in quotations. He was asking us what it would be like to just get lost in the mountains. He asked me if I thought he could make it to China or India on foot. And at the time, we thought he was joking. According to the New York Times, the former senior military official briefed on the investigation into Bergdahl's disappearance said that the night he went missing, on June the 30th, 2009, Bergdahl left a note in his tent who said uh, he was leaving to start a new life. It was reported that the letter said that Bergdahl wanted to renounce his citizenship. The note went on to say that he did not want to fight for America anymore, did not believe in the war, and wanted to start a new life. I just want to say this because I want to both sides of this now the army saying that that note never existed so we we don't know again the investigation is still pending specialist Sutton recalls recalls the events of the morning he went missing he left his weapon that day Bergdahl's backpack was missing and so was his knife in quotations I knew right away he had been not been captured he had walked off the soldiers began a frantic search costing millions of dollars using drones, military tracking dogs, and dozens of men for days. And it's reported that at least six U.S. soldiers have said to have died while hunting for Bergdahl. Now, again, Bo is either innocent, he's a deserter, or he's a traitor. So if he's innocent, I think Jesus would say, I understand what you're feeling. And he would weep with Bo. Let's talk about this. If Bo deserted, what would Jesus say to Bo? If, if Bo is a traitor, what would Jesus say to Bo? Now, here's the great thing about this. Some of the things that we've talked about in this series, I've had to kind of say, okay, but based on Jesus' character, I think he would say this. Here's the cool thing about this, is we don't have to try to just try to invent something up because we know exactly how Jesus would treat a deserter and a traitor, and I know exactly what Jesus would say to them both because... In God's Word, the Bible, we see two people, one person deserted him, and another person was a traitor and betrayed him. And we're going to see this morning how Jesus responded to them both. We're going to see how Jesus treated them both. We're going to see how Jesus, what he spoke into their lives. And yet, these two people were part of Jesus' inner circle, the 12 disciples. Jesus had a lot of people following him. He was kind of a rock star. Literally, thousands of people would follow Jesus. And out of the thousands of people that followed Jesus, there was about 70 disciples, Luke says. And then out of the 70, there was 12 disciples. And of those 12 disciples, we're primarily going to be looking at Peter and Judas today. Peter and Judas. And we're going to see today that both of these men uh, were trusted in the disciples. Both of these men were liked as disciples. Both of these men screwed up. One of them betrayed Jesus. One of them deserted Jesus. And yet Jesus responded very similarly to both of these. And we're going to see how Jesus responded today. I just want to give you the heads up. Also, these two people, Judas and Peter, ended their lives very, very differently. Judas ended up actually committing suicide and took his own life, while Peter lived for years and years and became a pillar and a leader of the church and was killed for his faith because he stood up for Jesus. Let's talk about Judas first. What would Jesus say to a traitor? Well, know this. We all, when we think of Judas, we immediately want to go boo, right? But because I mean, nobody names their child Judas, right? Uh, any of y'all, your Peters in here, anyone? All right? No Judas is in here, all right? And, and during that day, Judas was a very common name. Not anymore, because of what we're going to see happen this morning. But here's the thing. Judas was good friends with Jesus, they were close friends, yet somehow over time, Judas became increasingly hostile towards Jesus. The hostility towards Jesus finally led to his betrayal and the death of both Judas and Jesus. Judas, who committed a suicide, and Jesus, who was murdered by crucifixion. The story of Judas is one of increasing greed. Jesus had traced it, and if you put it together like many of the little references in the scripture we're going to be looking at today, you can see what was happening to this guy. It begins to take shape. When Judas first joined the 12, he was evidently a very sincere, dedicated follower. He had a good reputation, a good business head, and a reputation for honesty. In fact, so much so that he was the treasurer of the bunch. Look at this. John 13, 29 says this about Judas. Since Judas was their what? Treasurer. Some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food and give some money to the poor, all right? So he was in charge of the money box. Quick question, people. Do you put someone you don't trust in charge of the money? What was that? No. Of course you don't. This means that the other disciples had confidence in Judas. Judas had a reputation for honesty. You never elect a treasurer who doesn't show some indication of being able to handle money well. I've always been surprised and disturbed that nobody's ever asked me to handle the money. Right? So anyway, maybe because I can't count. All right? <laughs> I don't know. But here's the thing. Judas was elected treasurer. When Judas joined the Twelve, he, had, he saw the chance to fulfill his dream. Judas believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the Messiah, which was the coming Jewish king. And it was this Messiah that would deliver Israel from the occupation of Rome. So he joined the band with his anticipation that he would be part of this inner circle. But when Jesus began to speak about his upcoming death, and when Judas saw him offending the people who were in power, the religious people and the Romans, Judas knew that his dream was fading. Judas became inwardly resentful and bitter towards Jesus, and he started to take matters into his own hands. In John 12, 6, we see that Judas had begun to steal money. Look at this. John 12, chapter 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was later to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a what? a thief, as he had the money box he used to take, many times he would take what was put in it. So for some time, Judas had been stealing out of the treasury. He was feathering his own nest. He took advantage of the fact that he was the treasurer, and he just kind of dipped his hand in. Some of you know exactly how that feels, because you do that regularly at work. You do that regularly on your job. Or maybe um, you, uh, you're a part of a company or an army and you're like, they got so much stuff, they're never going to know that this goes missing. And you just start to take yourself. Let me say this. For some of you, you don't physically take money in, 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 out of and steal it, but you do it by poor work habits. Because when your employer is paying you to be on the job, you're on Facebook, you're, up to, you're updating your Twitter feed or your Instagram. And you see, by that, it's stealing. It's stealing. So, look what happens. Judas knew that it was, uh, Jesus knew that it was this greed and anger and disillusionment that was motivating Judas. Judas became disillusioned. And we've, we've seen in some of the uh, text things and some of the uh, the video stuff about Bo, I think something very similar could be said to him. He became, it seems, very disillusioned with the government with the army back to Judas Jesus always knew who would betray him Jesus always knew it yet Jesus continually reached out to Judas showing Judas that Jesus loved Judas always knowing that he knew that Judas would betray him yet he gave him unconditional love and acceptance in fact the last night before Jesus is alive, the night that Judas would betray him, we see how Jesus is always going to continually reach out to Judas. Let's look at it. John chapter 13, verse 2 says this It was time for the supper. By the way, this was the last supper because it was the supper that was the last one before he died. Thanks for coming to one church. It was time for the supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Now, look at these next two words. Jesus what? Jesus knew. How did Jesus act or react towards Judas? I mean, because Jesus knew. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus is God, and he knows all, and he knows what's coming up. I'll be honest with you, if I knew somebody was gonna betray me, if somebody was gonna stick a knife in my back to be a traitor, you know I know how I would react. I would take them out before they took me out. Yet look at how Jesus responds to the twelve disciples, even knowing that one is a traitor and that one would desert him, and really we're gonna learn all of them desert him. Look what he does, verse four. So he got up from the table, took off his robe wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Question, how did Jesus react and respond towards Judas? Jesus poured himself out as a servant to all of those 12, but even on Judas. On that faithful night, Jesus was reaching out to Judas. He knew from the very beginning who would betray him, and many times through this, through this illusions and what we're going to see all of this happen in this upper room, he's going to continually reach out to Judas and trying to draw Judas towards him. In fact, his comments during the Last Supper was that he was aware of what was going on. And toward the end of Jesus' life, as he approaches the cross, and he sees Judas moving irrevocably towards betraying him, Jesus reaches out to Judas. Jesus washes the feet of Judas, the traitor. How would, how would Jesus respond to a traitor? He would love him. He would love him. There's never a hint of resentment Jesus towards Judas, never uh, even one note of bitterness. He just loved him and kept on reaching out to him. Remember one of the scriptures? In fact, it was the scripture we ended last week. What is the job of the church to do? That they will know that we are Christians by our what? Love. What are we called to do? Love. We're to love like Jesus loved, John 13, 34 and 35. Now, let's, took, let's take a look at the last times that Judas and Jesus were together. It's, one, it's the second to last time they were together. John 13, 21 through 26. This is what it says in verse 21. Now, Jesus was what? Deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I'll tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other. What? Wondering whom he could mean. Now, before I read the next verses... I want to just explain some stuff about what's going to happen because a lot of this, we, we really don't know um, because the Bible doesn't teach us because it's not in our culture. You see, how do you and I eat? We eat like this picture. Look at this picture. There you go. This is a picture of what? Last Supper. Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. By the way, do you know what Jesus said? Um, and during the last supper to his disciples, if y'all want to be in the picture, y'all want to be on this side of the table. Okay. Let me tell you, <laughs> thank you very much. All right. Here's the thing. This is not how the last supper looked like. It's not how the last supper looked like. Let me explain what it looked like, and then I'm going to watch you, let you see a video clip of actually what it looked like. You see, the, this, they didn't sit in chairs. They didn't sit at, at, at a table. Um, it was this very low table where they would recline. They would probably lean on one uh, on their arm as they're laying down. And th- there, it was a U-shaped table. And at the top of the U would be Jesus. Jesus was the host. He would be sitting there. And what's so interesting, on Jesus' left, you see who's sitting there is John. In fact, he he identifies himself in John chapter 13 as the one whom Jesus loved. Um, Him and Jesus were kind of like best buds. So there was John right next to Jesus, uh, Jesus to the left, and to the right of Jesus at the place of honor of the table. I mean, at the place where Jesus was closer to anyone else. Do you know who sat at the place of honor? Judas. Very interesting that Jesus, just in the placement of where the disciples sat, even in that, he's reaching out to Judas. Look at this video clip.
1: Jesus and his disciples were at supper. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, the thought of betraying Jesus. After Jesus had said this, he was deeply troubled and declared openly... I'm telling you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked at one another, completely puzzled about whom he meant. One of the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was sitting next to Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him. Ask him whom he is talking about. So that disciple moved closer to Jesus' side. Who is it, Lord? I will dip some bread in the sauce and give it to him. He is the man. So he took a piece of bread, dipped it, and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Hurry, and do what you must. None of the others at the table understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas was in charge of the money bag some of the disciples thought that Jesus had told him to go and buy what they needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. Judas accepted the bread and went out at once. It was night.
2: So there you have it. You kind of see it's not this Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper painting, but it was this very intimate setting, very intimate setting. And we see that Jesus was greatly troubled. Uh, He's deeply troubled. And that word deeply troubled in the Greek, it literally means to be grieved or to be hurt. Getting betrayed by a friend and going to the cross wasn't an easy thing for Jesus to do. If we think of Jesus as having no emotion and that he's unmoved through this entire betrayal, we are wrong. Jesus was deeply disturbed. He was hurt. Why? Because only a friend can betray a friend. And that is exactly what Judas and the rest of the twelve were to Jesus. They were friends. They had spent three and a half years together. They were hanging out every night, every day every day. Look back at verse 26. Jesus responded, it is the one whom I give the bread, I dip in the bowl, and when they had dipped it, he gave it to Judas. This is another honor that Jesus bestowed on Judas because he gave him this bread. It was custom for the Jews to do this, to take off a piece of bread and to give it, dip it, and give it to a person, hand it to a favored guest, much like how we prepare a toast today in the honor of somebody. At a banquet. So when Jesus gave this morsel to Judas, it was as he was honoring him in the presence of the other disciples. Jesus was reaching out to Judas even then. One final time. Jesus still, Judas still had a chance to change. Jesus would have never tried to reach out for him unless he still had an opportunity to recover at this point. But when Jesus gave him that bread and Judas took it without a word of her sign of remorse, he passed the point of no return. You know, when you talk to pilots, we have a lot of pilots here who, uh, who fly in the 160th. And I, so many times when you, when you men or women, when you're piloting, when you go out, there's that point of bingo, you know, you, that it, you've got to stop flying that direction so that you can start going back so that you will have enough gas to get back. And if you keep on pushing that, if you keep on going farther, it's the point of no return. It means you're not going to be flying back. And that's exactly where Judas, Judas is at this point. Judas has hit the point of no return. And there is no going back. It's interesting that Jesus, how he continued to relate to Judas and reach out to Judas. He loved him. He loved him and served him. And cared for him. So Judas leaves Jesus and Jesus now turns to his disciples. And this is where we're going to see how Jesus, Jesus, what he says to a deserter. Because this is what it says in verse 36 of John 13. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. Why can't I come now, God? He asked, I am ready to what? Die for you jesus and then jesus answered and said this die for me I'll tell you the truth peter before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You will deny me Three times that you even know me It's easy to think how we would respond in a situation isn't it And when the bullets start flying and everything I mean starts hitting the fan you're thinking okay I know exactly what I would do But no you don't until you're in that situation Peter says, I am ready to die for you. And Jesus responds, Pete, you think you know what you're going to do, but I know what you're going to do because I'm God. You're going to leave me. You're going to desert me. You're going to cuss me up one side and down the other and tell everybody you don't even know me. Look at what Matthew 26, says. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, listen to the pride in that, I will, what? Never desert you. Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And listen to this, what it says. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Do you know, and we're going to see, that all the other disciples, not just Peter, but everyone, deserted Jesus. Every one of them. Let's continue to read. Matthew 26, 69. Meanwhile, Peter, this is after Jesus has been captured. Judas has betrayed him. So Jesus is in chains, and he's getting led away. About, it's about 1, one o'clock, 1.30, Friday morning. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You're one of the, those who was with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter what? Denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Strike one. Things start to escalate. Next verse. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with a what? An oath. I don't even know the man. You see how it's escalating? He said, no, I don't know him. And then he says, no, I promise on, like, my mother's grave, and I, I mean, and you know, cross my heart, hope to die. I do not know him. Look at the next one. The next one, he starts cussing like a sailor because he was a sailor. Um, a little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter, what? Swore, A curse on me if I am lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, The rooster crowed. Peter went from just saying, no, I don't know him, to no, I promise you I don't know him, to blankety-blank-blank, I don't know the man. And then Peter remembers. Next verse. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went away. How did he feel? Weeping how? Bitterly. Judas betrayed Jesus, and Peter... And the rest of the disciples, they deserted him. Peter denied Jesus. What's the difference between these two men? i got to be honest with you, not much. One betrayed him with actions, the other betrayed him with words. Yet both deserted and really were traitors. Last verse I want to show you today. This is in Matthew 26, 14. This is talking about what Judas got for betraying Jesus. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him, Jesus, over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. 30 pieces of silver. Here's a picture. 30 pieces of silver. Here's the thing. What's so interesting about The 30 pieces of silver is every time in the Bible when you read about 30 pieces of silver, it's always the price of a slave. It's always the price of somebody either getting sold into slavery or being bought out of slavery. 30 pieces of silver. That was Judas's price. Let me ask you a question as we close. What's your price? What's your price? What price would you pay to betray Jesus? Now, some of you say, I I would never do that. I would never betray Jesus. But here's the harsh reality of it. All of us betray Jesus regularly throughout the week. And it's for a whole lot less than 30, 30 pieces of silver. We betray Jesus when, as a Christian, we willfully do what Jesus does not want us to do. We betray Jesus when we do not live the way Jesus calls us to live. We betray Jesus when we lie and we don't tell the truth to a parent. We betray Jesus when we choose to cheat on a test. We betray Jesus when we choose not to give God what is rightfully his, 10% of what he gives us. We betray Jesus when we squander his financial blessings, when he says, I want you to give back to me. We betray Jesus when we cope with an illegal drug abuse. We betray Jesus when we go to the computer and we look at either men or other women. We betray Jesus when we flirt with someone of the opposite sex who isn't our spouse. We betray Jesus when we get drunk. We betray Jesus when we choose not to give thanks to him for what he's given us. I mean, um, think about this. You sat down at lunch, and you're in front of a platoon of guys, and you got your food. You got a choice. Are you going to give thanks to God? Or if I pray, they're going to make fun of me. Huh, I'll just uh, I'll pray with my eyes open while I'm eating. That's your price. That's your price. Is your price a relationship? Maybe you're so desperate for love that you are willing to walk away from your values and convictions if he would just love you or if she would just show you love and give you honor. For others of you, it's money. You would abandon everything if you could just get that amount and you just fill in the price tag. You would sell out Jesus, sell out Christianity, sell out your integrity, sell out your reputation for just one fleeting moment of pleasure. How have you denied Jesus this past week? How have you betrayed him? You know, as we close, I think Jesus would say to Bo, if he's innocent, I believe in you and I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. I hope you have a relationship with me. I know how it feels. I think Bo would say, Jesus would say to Bo, if he was anything else, if he was a deserter or a traitor, I think Jesus would still love him. I think Jesus would still reach out to him. And though we don't know, only Bo and Jesus knows. And what we pray is for the truth to come out. Because the truth will always set us free. But here's the thing. I think so many of us, it's easy to, to throw stones and we see ourselves in the disciples we see ourselves like a Andrew or Bartholomew or some of these other people very rarely do any of us put ourselves in Judas' spot very rarely do any of us put ourselves in Peter's spot but I gotta be honest with you every time we willfully sin it's like we're kicking up our heel at Jesus you know, one of the, my favorite movies of all time, this is not my notes, so, and I got a couple of questions I need to answer, um, is Saving Private Ryan. Favorite movie of all time. Love it, love it, love it. And uh, I'm a huge World War II fan, and um, I just I love reading about history. I love reading about uh, everything that happened uh, on the uh, Pacific and Atlantic fronts. Um, but what's so interesting about this movie? is you have these seven people who are trying to locate this man who uh his name is private ryan uh, because his brothers have been killed in the invasion of normandy and they're trying to get him back home and there's this one guy uh, of this ragtag group of guys who are going to try to find him his name is oppum anybody remember oppum oppum is this dude uh, he, um he's a uh, He's a soldier, um, but he doesn't really know. You know, he's he's just kind of a reporter, so he hasn't done that much. He hasn't really fired a, a lot of guns, and you can tell he's he's a little he's a little hesitant. And in the thick of battle, all of his buddies, all of Oppam's buddies are battling the Germans. And they're they I mean, they're they're literally in the fight of their life. And a bunch of his friends are dying. And Oppam is seeing a German kill one of his friends, and he does nothing. He he stands still in fear. And as the German, after he's killed his buddy, as he walks down the stairs, this German sees this guy, who's evidently petrified, and just walks right by him. Doesn't even acknowledge him. So many times, I see myself as Tom Hanks when when I watch that movie, you know? I'm like, I'm Tom, right? Tom with a thyroid problem, but I'm still Tom, right? (laughs) Or maybe I see myself as Matt Damon, right? I don't know, all right? Here's the thing, though. All of us think we know what we would do. None of us do. And what haunts me is, maybe I'm oppo. Maybe I choose to do nothing. This week, God is calling you and calling me to live for Jesus Christ. So my question is, are you going to do that? Are you going to live for him because he died for you? And I think, as we close, as we've looked at all of these different people, I hope you've realized that all of us, we see ourselves in some of these people we've looked at. Some of us, we're like Katy Perry. We walked away from God in the church. Others, we're like Lance Armstrong, and we have problems telling the truth. Others, we, we struggle with depression and suicide. Or maybe some of you today, you're just struggling with living a consistent Christian lifestyle because you have a tendency to deny Jesus. Know this, Jesus loves you. He will never stop loving you this church loves you and we will never stop loving you because that is what God has called us to do let me answer a couple of questions first one is this one uh, as a soldier how can you separate your spiritual and soldier feelings about Bergdahl when so many fulfill their obligation even when they do not agree with US policies that's a great question great question as a Christian, you know, we're, it's kind of it's, it's conflicting because we want to love, but you know what? And this is so what's interesting about the Bible. God is not just a God of love. He's also a God of justice, right? He is. He doesn't just sweep stuff under the rug and say, oh, let's just pretend that didn't happen. No, no, no. He, he acknowledges the bad stuff, and that's the reason why he sent his son Jesus to die for the bad stuff. He doesn't just say, let's just pretend that doesn't happen. So let's go with this with Bo. If Bo is innocent, great. If he's not, what should our response be? Justice and love. Administer justice and love. Justice has to happen. And that's what we pray for. I don't know about his background, religious background. I I can tell you this. Um, They grew up Presbyterians. Um, And after his capture, it seems, and this is just from all the research I've been able to do, after his capture, after Bo's capture, Bob, the father, started reading a lot of books about Muslims. And uh, Pashto, I believe, is uh, is the dialect. He started getting into, deeply into that. And one of our elders, who's in fifth group, when, when he pulled me aside last week, he said, basically, you're an idiot to even talk about this, all right? I'm like, thank you. All right, that's wonderful. Um, He says, this has problems all over it because everybody has opinions and we don't know yet. And and he started going through all of these things, all of these problems. And then he got to his dad, Bob. And he says this, and and this really stood out to me, uh, Hayward said. He said this, everybody is calling the dad crazy and a traitor. But if you're the dad, what length would you not go to to try to be able to get your son back? And that put it in a different light. What length would you not go to to get your son back? If somebody had taken my three boys, I would probably almost go to any length. To get my son back. And as we close. Think of it this way. Our heavenly father. Because we chose to sin thousands of years ago. It broke relationship with him. And let me tell you. What our heavenly father. Our dad. What he went through. To get his children back. He sent his one and only son. Jesus Christ who was unique, who was amazing, who had no sin, who was perfect. He sent Jesus. And he knew that Jesus would be betrayed. He knew that everybody would turn on his son. He knew that they would kill him. And he sent Jesus so that you and I, if we put our faith and trust in him, we could have a relationship with God. So our Heavenly Father... His love knows no links of getting his children back.